will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And for the month of October, we are doing, uh, I think, personally, a, an awesome thing. And thankfully, Leslie agreed to doing it, um, <laughs> considering she's not the biggest necessarily fan of horror. Uh, and I'll let her talk about that in a little bit. But we are doing a special this month of... We're calling it Let's Scare Leslie to Death, with no real intent to actually scare her to death, uh, but just an homage to the 1970s film Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And so for this month, um, we are examining at least at least one. I'm trying to convince Leslie to do a little bit more than, than one here and there. Uh, one horror film uh, a week for the month of October, and we're trying to win... Leslie over to the horror genre. So uh, before we go any further and talking about the movie we're going to discuss this week, I want Leslie to talk about her experience with horror films or her thought on horror. Okay. Um, I would say to say that I don't like horror, the genre as a whole is maybe a little bit not accurate. I think what I tend to like is a lot of horror elements that are paired with other genres that I enjoy more, like science fiction or murder mystery, things that make those psychological thrillers more interesting. It's kind of like, um, I like it as part of the dish, but maybe not the whole thing. You know, instead of just eating one whole big steak, I'd also like some potatoes and carrots, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I don't know, I think, um, when you asked me to do this, I had also, like, looked on different Google things, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, like, why do people really like it versus why do people not like horror and just looking at different interesting articles and psycho, um, psychology articles, things like that. But the things that kind of identified 
for me the most when I was reading those articles is, number one, I wasn't raised on scary movies or Halloween really at all. Um, not that we didn't do Halloween, but it just, we were more of like those cutesy um, fall festival kind of people. Okay. So we never really like did Halloween, like anything spooky, scary, not necessarily that we would be scared, but that's not something like that our family ever really did, you know? Right on, right on. Yeah, for me, um, I was never necessarily a big, like, horror fan as a kid. Like, I would say, you know, my, my early years between, like, five and six. I know, um, like, I was reading the Goosebumps books in, like, kindergarten, so, like, you know, that's a very young age to kind of be introduced to the spooky stuff. But, like, I think prior to, like, age 10, 10 to 12... The most I like, I dipped my toe into like horror would have been "Are You Afraid of the Dark" and "Goosebumps," the TV show and the books. Um, but I remember specifically like every time like a certain horror movie might come on like Sci-Fi Channel or something like that, I would I wouldn't be able to watch more than like a couple seconds of it. Um, but then I had a a personal experience to which my sister will never never admit to even to this day. Um, that she had rented the original Friday the 13th film and um, had asked me to watch it with her one night. And I was like, it's not a scary movie, right? And she said, no, no, it's not a scary film. It's just more of a mystery. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can watch that. And so we're watching it, and she ended up like falling asleep, and I watched the movie all the way through absolutely terrified i even remember like calling her name out a couple times to see if she was like awake just being like okay i'm ready for the movie to be turned off now um and she to this day will not ever admit that she showed me that movie and uh it was even funny because like a couple years later my brother and i were watching it on cable and i was able to tell him like this this is how this person dies this is how this person dies uh, and this is who the killer is. And I use that as evidence towards my sister and be like, well, okay, if I'd never seen it, because like at that point in my like exposure to horror, I wasn't openly going out and like renting horror films. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, if I'm not watching these movies on my own, how did I know who the killer was and stuff like that? So she just will never admit to this day. And I, I chalk it up to her being asleep and never wanting to admit to my parents uh, that she showed me that movie at a young age. Because later, like, she showed us, the, uh, showed me the Scream movies, uh, or at least the first Scream movie. Um, and then I started kind of going out. And at the time, we had, like, network video and Blockbuster and... Uh, you know, my parents had kind of given me the okay as long, like the only R-rated movies I was really allowed to uh, rent were horror films, which in hindsight, probably not the best okay to give like a young teen the okay <laughs> to, to rent because like there's a lot of like explicit things in, in horror films and horror uh, fans, of course, will know what I'm talking about without openly referencing them. But uh, I then went on this whole kind of binge of, all right, Friday the 13th, I'm renting every single movie. And once I finished the Friday the 13th series, I moved on to uh, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And the rest is basically history. Like, uh, I just became a huge fan. Um, Not much uh, horror films nowadays really scare me, but it's like it's 
it's just the one genre that I really glom onto. And you know me, like I'm a huge big comic book movie fan too and and mm-hmm. like action fan, but really if there's one genre that does it for me, it's horror. I can watch even really bad like horror films. There there is a um there is a cutoff point of like low budget horror that I can stand and uh I'm <sighs> It's got to be looking pretty bad visually. And I mean, I've watched some ones that the quality of the production is not great, but I can still make it through. I think even, in fact, one of the first movies I reviewed on the podcast was The Leaf Blower Massacre, which overall is not necessarily a great horror film, but I could still watch it. And even its production quality was very, very low. Um, so I have a very like strong tolerance for for horror films, and I just keep constantly devouring anything that comes up on Prime or Netflix or Hulu, um, and it's just yeah. See, your 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 thing is horror, and mine is science fiction. Because, like you know, you can watch almost something that might be really low budget um, horror. That's the same for me with science fiction. I can watch those same tropes over and over mm-hmm. again in like high quality production. In like we're talking low C and D level production, yeah. and, uh, like amateurs with their iPhones, and I'm like, this is great. Absolutely, <laughs> and and you know, and, and it's funny because like I can even I can do that with sci-fi too, because um, like what's in the movie we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, um, sci-fi and horror are kind of adjacent at times. Um, there yeah, are a lot they of go together really well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that horror can go with science fiction like very well is especially if you're having something happen when you're on a spaceship because you are literally alone. There is a vacuum, you know, outside, and you there's nowhere for you to run. There's no nothing for you to do. You have to face whatever it is because you're trapped in that environment. Exactly, and while you even go back to the original um, War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles when people thought it was real and they started panicking and and freaking out that the the martians were actually invading invading the planet and so yes i think that that's a kind of a good uh preamble to move in and talk about the film that we're going to talk about um it's probably a movie i've watched over a million times yeah it's exaggerating a little bit but i've watched it a lot um and this being a first time view for you i'm really Although you kind of gave me a little bit of a preview of, of I won't be too thrilled or too excited to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> but uh, I am interested in hearing from a person's first viewing of John Carpenter's The Thing. Show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. 
It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! The basic premise of the thing, if you're not aware of it, is that a research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. And with that said, Leslie, I'm going to turn it over to you and let's hear your thoughts. Okay. Well, one of the first things I have to let you know is I had to remind myself the whole time I'm watching this, this was made in the 80s. For, for the special effects and things like that, because sometimes I was just laughing where I, I would think that maybe in the 80s, if you went and saw it, you, it might have been disturbing or scary, but I was just sitting on my couch laughing at it. But I was like, remember this was made in the 80s? Try and take yourself there, put yourself there, you know, and not, not laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so over, overall, especially with the concept, I'm already intrigued. Like when you were telling me different ones to suggest to watch, that was the first one that jumped right out at me because I was like, that is so interesting. And it has that um, science fiction element that we just mentioned you know, about being on a spaceship, except that they're in Antarctica. So it's that same situation. You, you, there's nowhere for you to go. No help can't get to you. Yeah, so that was really, really interesting to me. So I would say like really focusing in on that concept of the science fiction part of it, Super interesting. Um, the, the part that where I feel like it fell apart a little bit for me is that there's not enough character work done for me to care what's happening to these guys. So it, it doesn't become that scary or tense for me. Because there were definitely times I'm listening, I'm like focusing in on the music, because I know the music is telling me this is supposed to be really scary and tense. I'm just not feeling it. Okay. I think if there had been a little more... I don't know if it's maybe the number of the fellas. You know, I think there was like 11 or 12. If there was maybe a fewer number of them and he could focus in a little more on some of them that I would be more concerned. You know, like I want to root for Kurt Russell, you know, and, and have him live or, or something. But I felt more like a little bit removed, like watching it. And I'm just watching what hap is what happening. What is happening, if I could speak, blah, <laughs> to, the, to these guys. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was really interesting. I, I liked, I understand the concept they're going for, the psychological um, horror element of it, because, you know, anybody could be an alien. How do we figure out who's who? Who do you trust? You know, all of that, that uh, conflict going on. The special effects to the alien was probably what cracked me up the most when I'm watching this. <laughs> and, and reminding myself, it's the 80s, it's the 80s. <laughs> Because I couldn't decide, I was like, if it looks like a dog, if it looks like a crab, if it looks like a spider, different parts of it, I was just laughing. Um, I don't know if in the 80s when you first went to the theater, you know, if you were if you were around back then, you can let us know yeah, in comments or email if that was, like, just so scary. Um, but uh, 
I will say that this was this uh, came out before I was born, so. <laughs> same here, same here. Yeah. Predates us both. Um, I'm looking over my notes real quick just to make sure I hit on everything I really wanted to say. Oh, I would say the most genuine emotion I felt that very first opening scene and the guys are shooting at the dog. And I'm like, why are you shooting at the dog? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I was like, ah, because I'm a dog person. And then, of course, as it goes on, I, you know, you understand. But I'm like, you're shooting at this dog. And then part of me was wondering, was it supposed to be a wolf? And they just had a husky. And I'm like, Leslie, they're not wolves in Antarctica. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, they're just randomly shooting at the dog. And I'm like, no. All right. Well, um, you know, I got a, I got a few counterpoints a, a little bit uh yeah. not 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 too much on, on what you said because I, I i can understand too um watching this movie in a modern day um exposure to kind of special effects it probably doesn't hold up and i and i was uh you know i finished rewatching it this morning um in fact i was watching it last night with with the dog in the bed with me and um, it was getting to the point when Clark was taking the husky into the pen with the other dogs. And I was like, two things. I'm like, okay, I'm really kind of tired right now. And two, the dog is kind of watching the TV and I don't really want her to see what's coming next. Um, cause that's one particular scene I always have a hard time watching is, is what happens in that kennel. Um, now the kind of the point with the character work, and this is something I've seen more recently. It's not any original idea that I've had, uh, but it makes more kind of uh, concrete sense to me is that you're, yes, we're kind of introduced to these characters and we don't really know their backgrounds or how they interact, but you're uh, kind of supposed to have the impression or um, if, you, if you're really kind of watching it through, I, I think, uh, uh, several times and you kind of really pick up on on the characters a little bit more that these guys kind of kind of know each other and they all kind of don't like each other which is what's supposed to heighten up the the um suspense factor of, of this kind of growing mistrust they already don't really care for each other they're at the start of their long winter of working on the base and now this other factors now being introduced that heightens that mistrust because like you get that like kind of Clark and McCready don't really get along, um, along with Childs and, and, you know, really the only like, I, I think likable characters are Fuchs and Nalls who like are kind of the more buddy people. I will also say, cause this, this catches me every time I rewatch the movie, a doctor with a nose ring, an older doctor <laughs> with a nose ring always throws me off whenever I watch this. And He's uh, the doc is sewing up Benning's leg after getting shot. Just like that close up on his face and seeing that nose ring is just kind of hurts my head a little bit. But uh, I think that that's kind of the intent that Carpenter was going with is that these guys are already kind of curmudgeon towards each other. And that um, that's what heightens up the sense of of suspense and kind of trying to figure out who is who is the next thing. And um, one funny bit that, of course, I don't speak Norwegian. You don't speak Norwegian. At least I assume you don't speak Norwegian. No, I um, That honestly, the whole beginning scene, if you speak Norwegian, you know right then at the beginning when, when the uh, guy gets off the helicopter and he's shouting at them, he is literally saying, it's not a, it's not a dog. It's a thing. It's an it. 
And that kind of, if you have that exposure to Norwegian, you have it then, not necessarily spoiled, but revealed to you. And um, you can have then a different reaction to what's going to happen later on in the film. I also like the sense of mystery because although I, I think I know who is the first person that gets infected by the thing, there's always a lot of speculation of who that person is. Um, I like that idea of not ever really quite knowing who the dog goes to first and then how each individual person that th later becomes assimilated other than the ones that get shown on screen when they get assimilated. Um, so I, I do really like that idea. I really do like that concept. Um, in my personal opinion, I think the thing is probably Carpenter's best work. Um, meaning that the story structure, the way it's set up, the way it climaxes works perfectly for me. Um, I, I, the second closest would be Halloween, where I feel like everything narratively really works together. But his later films, and um, even though I like personally, I love them like Prince of Darkness, um, In the Mouth of Madness, uh, Ghost of Mars, any other the kind of Carpenter film that happens later on, it, it really ha doesn't end well for me. Even They Live, which is one that we will be covering also at some point. Um, the endings always kind of leave me something more to desire. Like, it feels like I need five more minutes or ten more minutes after the ending. Whereas with The Thing, I think The Thing ends perfectly. Um, yeah, it ends really well. Well, and you're... See, now, I'm not in the camp. A lot of people are in the camp that potentially McCready is the thing. Um, and then other people are in a camp of Childs is the thing. I'm in the camp that's like, n I, I think neither one of them is. Um, especially when you take in to the, uh, into account the prequel, which is one, one thing I will use as a defense for the, the practical effects of this film, because even though they're, they're a little dated today, I still really like them. I still find them intensely creepy. Um, although I was noticing when Windows is getting murdered, uh, you can easily tell when it's not really a person and it's just a doll or something that's being flung around because it loses its it loses its kind of rigidity and it's just extremely flexible. But um, the Thing prequel that was released a few years ago, which I would highly recommend, I, I think if you, if you liked this enough um, that you go and check that out because that shows what happened at the Norwegian camp. Um, and, and now there are some continuity errors, whereas we see in this movie that they kind of blow it out of the ice, uh, the ship. They instead, um, they find it under the ice and there's a different thing that explains on how it came up out of the ice. But uh, everything that you saw at the Norwegian camp, um, you kind of find out w how it got there. And then I also will say that it has the best ending of a prequel movie into the, the John Carpenter version. Um, so I have to highly recommend that. And I also think it will be a defense for the practical effects because in that one, although I know the filmmakers wanted to use more practical, they go with CGI and CGI, in my opinion, doesn't quite work. 
Um, n- another point you brought up, and I and I think that it's a point to, to touch on, is um, whether or not it's like a spider or if it looks like a dog or if it looks like a crab. It's meant to kind of look like all of those things. Um, the the point kind of being that it's mimicked these other species on planets that it's come across in the past. Um, that that's kind of how it, it's. It never wants to imitate, and at least it seems like every time it's been caught, it never wants to imitate its something perfectly. That it's taken a mixture of all of these different things that's already assimilated, like the the huskies. Um, they're and I will say it's kind of backed up in the prequel because there's at one point it looks like a crustacean. And um, so that's just something I wanted to talk about um, on on a counterpoint to what you said there. But having this be your first, I think this is probably what, your first exposure to a John Carpenter film, correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, the only thing I could think that you might have watched would have been potentially Ghost of Mars, um, which... I'm probably one of like two people who actually like that movie. Um, and I can't think of anything else that he's done. Cause he, he kind of sticks to the horror sci-fi genre a lot. Um, I know you have a little bit of a, an exposure to the chew bubblegum uh, line, <laughs> but uh, from they live, but not having the exposure to the film. Yeah. Um, so with this being kind of your first exposure to John Carpenter, what do you have to say about him as either a filmmaker or as a storyteller, or does his style of directing kind of interest you more in some of his other works? Um, I mean, I would be interested to see more of his other works to compare and contrast to kind of get more of an idea with this being like the first thing that I've really seen. I I don't know. Some of it, I think, is is me trying to um, peel back what's 80s style, you know, the whole, like, freeze frame things and things like that, and then just focus more on what he did. I do think it's very interesting um, film work. I don't know if I feel like the writing is strong enough, but I'm... Because I am always really intrigued if you have a really, really good story, even if you know, you're shooting something, like, on your iPhone, but if your story is good enough, that's what's going to keep me interested to watch your film. Okay. Um, so I, I feel like eh, his story was probably, like, middling as, as far as the execution of it. But everything else, I, I mean, I kind of liked it. I liked um, knowing when to have, like, let's turn off the lights and the lights aren't coming back on to throw the um, tension up and, oh, no, it was the thing in that dark corner. But that's something that's kind of like, I would say, you know, it's a trope, it's a stereotype that gets used throughout all the horror genre, so it's not necessarily unique to him. Right. Uh, I do have a question also. Um, What was your reaction to the blood testing scene? Um, it was gross, no. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, well, no, honest first reaction why in movies do they always cut their most sensitive fingers and their most sensitive <laughs> piece of their hands? Like, <laughs> my, okay, I have a family of diabetics. Like, why do they always are going to prick their sensitive pointer fingers and thumbs? I'm like, you have a pinky, you have a ring finger, you, you know, you can have the one that tests on your arm. But no, he's, what is it, windows? Windows. Like slicing open his thumb. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Like, that's ridiculous. But not only, like, okay, there's no reason to really slice your thumb. You could just point the scalpel and prick your finger, like, just to get enough blood. But, uh, yes. Uh, As far as, like, did I think it was going to be, um, who was it? Um, the, I can't remember his name. Uh, Gary? The, the, like, kind of the cap, captain of the, uh, the facility? uh, The guy who, who went first, who then killed Windows. I can't remember his name. It's, there's Nulls and Childs. Um. And then Gary and then the other guy. Yeah, um. There's too many people. I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, though the names I remember most because they're the kind of the characters the, I. The two dead guys. Right, which dead. would be the doctor and uh, Clark, and then um, there's Nalls, Windows, Childs, Gary. Uh, other guy who kills windows. Right. Um, I thought I was expecting it to be his blood that that freaked out first. Okay. Yeah, so I think I that was, that's kind of like. I was kind of sitting there wondering because what they gave us was that it was going to be Gary mm-hmm. because who else would have opened the, the locker with the blood? Right. So if it not being him, then you're left wondering, well, who got in there? How did they get in there? Yes, and I think, like, that's one of the, the best, like, suspense moments in the film um, because, like, you have it even at, like, at this point, like, even McCready's kind of getting a little lax and kind of comfortable with, like, okay, so far everything we've tested, nobody's had a reaction. All right, now I'm arguing with this guy, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and start pointing this down because I'm not expecting this to have a reaction as well because my f- attention is focused on Gary, and bam, there it is, and it's and it's freaking out, and then he starts kind of going nuts and, and then attacking Windows. Um, I... I will say, like, what I don't quite like uh, about the movie or or parts that I have issues with uh, is um, at least fleshing it out story-wise is everything that goes on with Blair. Like, I'm fine with Blair early on, and that's uh, Wilford Brimley's character, uh, the one who destroys the choppers and uh, the radio equipment. Um, Because, like, we, we know he's the one who figures this all out first and that he's tries to isolate himself and that he um, makes sure like no one else can get out because if it gets out, it's going to take about, I think I did the math, uh, like three years and then the whole world would be completely infected. Um, That everything that happens near the climax of the film with him becoming the thing and building the spaceship, like I don't feel like it's, it's set up properly. I don't feel like it's explained properly. Um, so that's yeah. the only kind of point of the film that I, I I don't quite like. As much as I say, like, the ending for this is perfect and everything else kind of works out, um, I, I, I feel like that was the place that it, it really kind of doesn't hold strong for me. Yeah, because they don't explain enough to that ship that he's building and, and where he's trying to go, like, with it. What, how is he getting the parts if he can't get through the door? Right. And I also, yeah. um, and this is my other thing, too, is because they're, they're immediately under the assumption. and Because we, we never get to see, the, we never know the motivation of the creature. Like, we, we don't, it's not a book, so we don't get to hear it's in our monologue or thoughts. And it never has a, a moment of exposition, which I think if they were ever, and I know that there's kind of talks about remaking it or rebooting it, um maybe this would be something to take into consideration is giving it a moment to actually talk or or um you know monologue a little bit 
Because my impression of it building this ship is not necessarily to just get out of Antarctica. Like, my impression is it's trying to just leave Earth. Like, it crashed on Earth without really having the intent to come to Earth. Especially when it came to Earth, uh, like 100,000 years or plus so, um, without having kind of developed life or anything like that, and crashing in the Antarctic where it's kind of void of life. Um, I would like to kind of understand, is it is it really, and this is a question because it comes up kind of in the prequel as well, is it really trying to be malevolent and take over the world, or is it just trying to simply get off the planet? Um, because it's yeah, met with they hostility. Really have to, they'd have to flesh out you know, the alien itself. Yeah. You know, and what does it actually look like? What is our, it's, what's its intent? Like you said, because if it's just, if it, they have to reconcile if it's just a base creature that's just doing this by its instincts with how, how does it have the spaceship? And maybe it was something that took over the actual intelligent aliens that were on the spaceship, and that's how it crashed, you know? Something like that to explain how this situation happened, or if it's an intelligent alien being itself and crashed by a mistake. Right, because it kind of gives the impression that it, it, it purely just wants to survive. Um, that it, it's just trying to get out of the current situation that it's in. And so, like, that's... That's one aspect of of the movie, if they are going to actually reboot it at some point, um, which I think Carpenter has said he wants to do it. So, like, if Carpenter's doing it, I've, I'm pretty fine with that. I don't know how I'd feel about an outside filmmaker doing it, because it, it, it just depends on what their background with the film is, uh, or with the original source material being the, the short story, who goes there, um, or even just having exposure to the original The Thing from Another World. Because, um, and I will say, I've watched the original Howard Har- Howard Hawks production, and I like it as its own standalone, and I've listened to the audiobook of, I guess, what is the second version of the book? Because I, I, I'm aware that there is, an like, the original actual short story has been re-released, which I plan on picking up at some point, but even the version of Who Goes There is kind of a more revised version of that original short story um but it's it's an interesting idea it's an interesting concept i kind of like this because there's also um i would say a third bit of genre uh, mixed into it of being it a mystery uh, you've trying kind of the uh, a whodunit but not really a whodunit but who is it and uh, trying to kind of use an investigative means to un- uh, figure out who it is and Again, like like we've talked about, we want we want to know its intent more, and I think that that's something that needs to be explored if they're going to do a new version of the of the movie. Um, I have a suggestion on top of that. Too, what's that? That would make that I think would make the ending even more creepy. Would be to have some piece of radio equipment or whatever have survived, and as we pull away from um, Childs and um, McCready you know, focus on that piece of radio equipment where it's saying, like, you know, somebody's coming in, like, we're going to come get you. Be like, oh, do they make it? Do they save them? Do they take it out there? Like, I don't know. So uh, it's funny you kind of mentioned that because, and I've always wanted to play it back when it originally came out and I never got to. They actually made a video game where that kind of happens, where uh, a military group, a U.S. military group shows up I don't know exactly what happens to the Childs, but McCready 
is helping them try to hunt it down so that it doesn't okay. get out into the world. Now, I probably could find YouTube videos showing gameplay and the story, but I've never fully experienced it. It was one game that I always wanted to get, and I never got it. And if I were to get it now, it would be so outdated graphically that I don't <laughs> know if I could enjoy it. Um, but it, it, that isn't, again, like, I think, honestly, that would have maybe amped up the ending more. I think it would have made it a more perfect ending for this movie if, like you said, you hear that radio equipment kind of buzzing in and going like, hey, here's a group from McMurdo coming in. We've we got your SOS call. Because even earlier on in the film, like when, when the storm is happening and Windows is just trying to reach out to let people know that, hey, we had this incident with Norwegians, um, you know, like let's make sure we're not causing an international um you know war or yeah incident or something like that like hey they came here they were shooting we shot back they blew up their own helicopter um you know like just to get that explanation out and we never hear a response from it and we don't know if that signal actually got out and i do think that that would be a nice kind of topping to the cake if you hear kind of that radio equipment buzzing and going like, hey, this is so-and-so to blah, 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 blaze, base. Uh, you know, we're coming or we received your call. We're sending aid. And then you're left going, oh, crap. You know, hopefully they got it all. Or yeah. Childs or McCready, whoever might be it at the end, um, is going to have another chance to get out there and escape. So that is a good, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a good kind of idea to add to a potential remake. I think that would be a great thing, especially, like you said, if he's going to do it, I would want him to do it. You know, that's one thing when when directors or actors or whatnot are still around and they want to redo something, I'm like, why not use those original people? I mean, right. unless the actor themselves is just like physically either too old or in bad health or something like that. Go back to those original people. Like, that's who I want to see. Um, not to get Star Wars, but people were complaining, like, maybe you and McGregor shouldn't come back as Obi-Wan. I'm like, no, he's the only Obi-Wan I want to see. He's still alive, and I want him to do it. Right, well, it's not like you can, you know, bring Alec Guinness back, because he's been famously right. dead for of quite a few years. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of those things, like, yes, obviously you couldn't get Kurt Russell back or, or um, uh, Keith David um, who's, those two are like two of my favorite actors. I'll watch about anything that they're in. But uh, I bet Kurt Russell could be one of the Norwegians at the beginning. Or something, or, or have a cameo. Or yeah, you like, you, you could have him in there. Um, I mean, I know that they've done the whole, like, they can do the whole computer de-aging thing, but I, I, I would at least like to see, like, if you're going to update it, um, for modern times, you know, at least get John Carpenter involved because he doesn't have to be in front of the camera. He can do all the work mm -hmm. behind the yeah. camera. It's one of the reasons why I think, like, I I like the Halloween kind of reboot was, you know, at least even though it was ignoring all these prior sequels and stuff, Carpenter was involved, he had input, he had say. So at least, like, I know that some of his ideas are still being carried over into the movie. Um, so even if he's in there as maybe just a consultant or an executive producer um, since the guy is still around and he's still such an icon, uh, I would, th I would say like, let's, let's give him a shot to, to do maybe some stuff that he couldn't do or wanted to do in that original picture. 
I'll also say that this probably, when it comes to the writing aspect, uh, this is, I think, maybe one of the few films that he didn't actually write. Uh, I know he was a huge fan of the original because even when you go back to the original Halloween, the movie that the kids are watching on TV is the original theme from Another World. And um, so I think he always kind of had an interest in adapting that. But I don't think that he, because um, I was even looking at the credits when the credits were rolling at the beginning of the movie, um, that he wasn't, I didn't see that he was attached on there as a writer or even on the screenplay. And I think maybe some of those elements would have been better perfected if he actually had written them. Because go to Halloween, he wrote Halloween. Um, he, if you go to even Prince of Darkness, which I would, I would recommend it's, a, it's more on the horror aspect than, than this may, might be for you, but it's also another one where its concept is extremely interesting, where it, it, it melds physics and theology together. And like that, um, Jesus and the devil were not necessarily, what's the words the the kind of explain this more like that they're kind of aliens versus that they're actually like religious deities okay um so it, it, it's and it's one where again like uh, as much as i love it it does suffer a little bit in the writing and the the climax of the movie but it's got such an interesting concept and it, of course he also did did the score for it and when john carpenter does a score for a movie it's also fantastic um but when he has kind of some of the writing involved in in his projects, that's, I think, where it it works stronger as a Carpenter film. And maybe, even though I consider this probably Carpenter's best work with The Thing, it might have been improved or it might have been uh, lessened had, had he had more maybe script input or uh, uh, screenplay input. But that's... That's pure speculation. You know, you can always look at something that was made in the 80s in hindsight and go, <laughs> well, if we had just done this, it would have it would have worked better. Or you yeah. even brought up a good point before we started recording that this was a box office flop, mm -hmm. um, which it, honestly, it doesn't surprise me because um, I think if the one thing especially that is um, specific to 80s horror, which is my favorite decade of horror um, it, it wasn't mainstream. Horror wasn't mainstream. Horror wasn't really accepted unless it was kind of like art house, like Rosemary's Baby, um, where it, it was widely accepted by an audience. If you were going to see a horror film, and it's even to an extent today similar, uh, if you went to go see a horror film or you're a horror fan, you're a degenerate, you're, you got something wrong with you, you, you're going to go out and murder kids and, and stuff like kind of the whole violent video game argument that violent video games causes school shootings. Um, but it is also, and this is a, a um, thing that happened with Paul, um, is it, oh God, Paul Anderson, and it's not Paul T. Anderson, it's Paul W.S. Anderson, um, with his film Event Horizon, is that um, you might be making it and you might make it at a loss but 10 years from now, it's going to become a cult hit, which it, where it will then really kind of enter into the zeitgeist or enter into the, the pop culture sphere of being considered a classic. Whereas today, the thing is considered a classic. It's probably considered Carpent one of Carpenter's strongest works. 
as same as Event Horizon, I know so many people who didn't probably didn't go and watch it in the 90s who now like it's it's one of the best movies they can ever watch and it's one of my favorites and i remember i think i had the my first exposure to event horizon was through sci-fi um and watching it and being absolutely like terrified that i couldn't finish the movie or i never got to see the movie in its in a, in a full piece and now i watch it like oh god who knows like maybe three times a year now it's one of just my favorites and I love its kind of connection to Hellraiser, and I, I like. I know that uh, Scream Factory is working on on a um, collector's edition, and they're trying to get the trying to find the footage that got cut from the movie, so they can add it back into the movie. Which I, I hope they can, because I think that that will amp up that movie more. Um, and I know that's one you've kind of expressed interest in, because I didn't even mention that movie to you, but it came yeah, up in I was your. Just talk about doing this like i said when we were going back and forth i was just trying to like pick out things you know and just kind of make a list because i didn't know if we'd get a lot of response from our listeners or not and we just we wanted to make sure we at least had four right and well i would say event horizon's probably going to be more on the extreme level um just from my personal experience with the movie and having watched it so many times that uh if you have any familiarity with hellraiser or kind of the gruesome scenes from that it's it's going. It's going to be somewhere along those lines. But it, it's one of those again. It's it's sci-fi meets horror genre, and it's kind of that thing we talked about earlier. Um, and one of the reasons why, like a movie like Alien, I think works so well is you're stuck in a vacuum. Like you really have no way to get out. And I think one of my favorite um, kind of subgenres of horror, even though it's not really a subgenre, uh, and one of the reasons why I think I like the thing so much is is that kind of idea of isolation. You have no easy access to help. You have no real way of getting out. Even Childs and McCready at the end, like, all right, we're, we're fine right now because the fire's burning and it's giving off enough heat, but that ain't going to last long. So once that fire's out, if no help arrives, they're going to freeze to death. So, like, they, they have that kind of impending doom hanging over them. And I always like these movies that... Uh, I, I specifically like movies that kind of take place out in the cold because that adds another element into it. It's not like, oh, I can just walk out and it's 70 degrees out and I can just walk 10 miles to the nearest help. No, you're you're kind of restricted. You can only go so far unless you have enough supplies that can keep you warm and keep you safe. So I like this idea of isolation Um and being kind of cut off from the grander world and it, it hypes up that kind of need or sense of, I, okay, I need to survive, but how am I going to survive in these conditions? Um, anything else that you want to talk about the movie? Um, no, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. Okay. I can give my overall score. All right, go ahead. I think overall I give it a three and a half. Okay, well... Five. I'm I'm going straight five. Like I said, uh, even even with some of the issues I I might have with the whole player stuff, uh, to me this is definitely a classic. It's a must watch uh, horror film or even just a sci fi film. Like that's why I felt comfortable kind of trying to ease you in a little bit. Maybe maybe turning up the dial once we get further on in the month uh, of kind of intensity and horror, but. 
that I knew that sci-fi aspect of it would definitely appeal to you because I I know we've 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 reviewed some movies here in the past in the podcast that have kind of blurred the line between sci-fi and horror um, a little bit and it is very interesting to see how those two genres kind of work together and can work together copacetically um, and and I I felt kind of because again like I, I don't want to overwhelm you with something like a, a hostel or a house of a thousand corpses where it's just pure <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um now i i do before we go um and and save on for for the next episode um because you've you've you and i've talked about this and it's still i think a concept i can't quite uh wrap my head around you seem to have kind of an not an aversion to slashers because they like terrify you, but an aversion to a slasher film because there's it's it seems a little pointless or something to you. Or I, I'm gonna make sure I don't want to misrepresent what you've said about it, but I know you have an opinion on slasher films that I can't wrap my head around. But I I would like to talk about it. Okay. Um. No. I I'm trying to I'm trying to pull my thoughts together real quick so I can try and you know get this. Um, well, kind of like during our preamble, our intro to all this, and I was talking about, um, horror and my experience with it, I'd go back to that and I'd say probably my first experience with an straight horror movie, which I believe Scream is as classified as that. It's not classified as anything else. I would say it's, 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 it is horror. And I, I would say it's, it's the first instance of potentially meta horror, meaning that it's, it's commenting on the genre itself. Okay. So, well, that would be my first, like, actual straight horror, and I can't even remember how old I was. All I know is I was I was old enough that the parents and everything weren't around because it was myself and a couple of my cousins, and that we went downstairs in my grandma's basement to watch it, you know, with all the lights turned off. The so good old light. days. The good old okay, days. Okay, so... The experience there, though, was that my cousins were so into it, and I was fascinated watching them be terrified. Okay. That I was watching the screen and not feeling anything. You know, this anxiety and stuff that they're feeling, and I'd look at them, and they're, like, with that sucked in, you know, big eyes to the screen, like, <gasps> things like that. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, really? Because it's not happening for me. You know, that, that being pulled in and getting that feeling or that jump scare. Not that I've never experienced that before, because I have. Right. But a lot of times when I'm watching a movie, that doesn't really happen for me. And I don't know if it's just, like, my mind, like how, you know, everybody's wired up a little different. And in my mind, I already know everything's fake and I'm not pulled. There's nothing within the story that's got to really pull me in. I've got to really care about what's happening to the people on the screen. So when it's just kind of a slasher and all you're really caring about is whether or not, you know, Susie is going to outrun the guy with the knife, I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. Because Susie made a ten stupid decisions. <laughs> I'm usually more frustrated with them than I am worried that they're going to survive. So you have more of a, I would say, like... An an issue to the cliche of horror genres where instead of running up the steps, you should run out the front door. Instead of going, who's there, you call the cops. Like, um, I also would say probably, um, because I have have a similar story to that, but a a little bit different reaction. But it it just, it reminds me of the good old days of being like a teenager and, and... technically watching a movie that you you sh- weren't allowed to be watching 
Um, I, I wonder if for, for a movie like Scream, because like, like I said, it's, it's more of a meta slasher in the sense of it's, it's people who have experience watching horror films and watching slashers and, and a kind of a commentary on, on that effect on people or how they could use that to, to further their own means. So it's, it's one of those ones where it's not like, like a Friday the 13th where the story is set specifically in this world where Mrs. Voorhees son died and she's seeking revenge and, um, you know, and then you're, we're getting off one by one by the characters were introduced. And yet in something like scream, the, the characters are cognizant of the horror tropes, like Jamie Kennedy's character of Randy being able to list off the rules of, well, don't, don't smoke weed, don't uh, have premarital sex, and, and all these different rules to surviving a horror film. Since it adds that kind of meta context to it, I can see where someone's reaction would be kind of similar to that, because you have these characters who are cognizant of these rules, but are still making the same choices as those characters. Whereas I think if you go with a Friday the 13th, it's not that these characters are even necessarily aware of these rules and, and that they are naive and, and um, you know, making the wrong choices because they're dumb teenagers and stuff like that. I think that that might be uh, the difference. Like, I, I I would take, like, Carpenter's Halloween as a, as a movie where a lot of those rules are kind of introduced for the first time. But also you look at Laurie Strode's character and she is someone who tries to make the right decisions, you know, and ends up accidentally making some wrong choices and where she's trying to escape and stuff. But um, but she, someone who I think is trying to defy those rules, even though she's not aware those rules are there because she's not the kind of the, the dumb bimbo uh, I'm going to trip in the woods 10 times and, and make sure the killer can get to me um, type of character. So I would be interested in kind of introducing some slasher uh, films maybe at some point during this month to see uh, see if we can get a different reaction from you. But uh, yeah, go I would say I, the other thing that goes back to me saying, like, we, just, we weren't big, like, spooky Halloween sort of, like, haunted house, any kind of, like, that sort of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. if you grew up on it, and that was like the fun family activity you did. That's not really what we did. So the only the only time I had even seen that movie is we happened to be there because we moved around a lot um, when I was younger. So then we moved away and I wasn't around those cousins, you know, to then continue. You know, I don't know which one would he have brought next. I don't right, know, right. you know, to watch because I we were moved away and I was like six hours away somewhere else, you know, with my other friends. And we were all still like in that, like I said, go to the hall, um, corn festival, you know, or something like that harvest festival, do the corn maze, do the cutesy scarecrow, like all of that sort of stuff is like all what we were doing. Um, the apple festival, anybody from Liberty who listens, is there <laughs> might be somebody, the apple festival. Woohoo! <laughs> That's where they have like the giants of the world's largest chocolate chip cookie and the world's largest apple pie. Just, you know, there are a lot of apple orchards. It was great. But that's the sort of stuff that we did. So it was never, not, no, nobody in my immediate group was like, let's go watch it, you know, or right. anything like that, because that just wasn't on our radar. Well, you know, and that's funny because, like, for me, I, I, it was, I think, again, it was the the inverse for me. Like, um, 
No, no, not that we were like always like Halloween. I mean, Halloween is my favorite holiday now. I don't know if as a young child it was that way, but I always liked Halloween. I always liked going out and trick or treating and stuff. But I don't know if I was all into like the ghouls and goblins really until my exposure to like Friday the Thirteenth. Um, but I know like when I was in grade school, and I kind of had this like running competition with another. Uh, student who was like a grade or two below me um and it wasn't like we were who could get these watched first or who had the best knowledge it was just like all right well hey i got i got friday the 13th part five six and seven watched this weekend oh i'm still trying to get those you know rented and watched and so like we had this kind of running competition so we could talk about those movies and so i think that that's kind of what is a difference of like why I think slashers kind of being my real gateway into horror, why I can view them a little bit differently. But we also, this is one of, even though I really don't talk to any of these guys anymore, one of my best memories from grade school was similar to your story about Scream. So it was seventh grade and we've been doing, um, we had been doing something and it was, we were all then staying the night at, at a, a friend's house. It was, how many it was like five or six of us i can't remember how many were in uh guys were in my grade but it was all the guys essentially and you know we were staying the night you know at uh, i think it was austin's house and we um we rented 13 ghosts the remake of 13 ghosts and so here we are like all watching it got the lights off and watching that movie and you know seeing a guy get bisected by closing doors and all these different types of ghosts and mutilations and like it was just a really kind of fun group experience. And I think that that's another thing that's appealing to certain people about the horror genre when going um, to the theaters. Now, me as kind of introverted as I've really kind of become in my life, I don't really care to necessarily have that experience anymore, um, especially when it's the reactions are overdone. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, cause there's one particular movie that I got to see, um, with a group, like with my, my brother and his wife and who was then his girlfriend at the time, uh, and her brother, we all went and saw paranormal activity together at Newport on the levee. And what ruined the movie, I think for me, cause I, I'm not a particular fan of the first film in that franchise. In fact, I think, the third movie is the best in that franchise, and then the second movie is, is second best, and then the first movie's last, and I don't really care, care about the other sequels. Um, but there were so many different reactions from different types of people that just kind of, like, ruined the movie. Now, the funniest one was when the Ouija board catches on fire and someone said, oh, hell no, and then they ran out of the theater. Um, <laughs> but that's the problem. And, and it's not... Uh, a problem that I think is specifically limited to just horror, but depending on the type of audience you're with, their reactions the can make or break it. Absolutely. Because I remember when I went and saw Wonder Woman, it was sold out, and myself and a friend had one seat that was beside me that was empty, and then the next two seats were a couple that came into the movie late, um, completely reeked of weed. <laughs> and then proceeded to open up all of their food that they had snuck in in their hoodies, which was like full-on bags from McDonald's and Wendy's, pulling out fries and things like that. 
And it's like, okay, we are all free to do with our own bodies whatever we want, and it only becomes an issue when you, you know, are affecting the safety of others. Right. But when we are in an enclosed space, I am very sensitive to smell and to smoke and things like that. It, it was awful, me trying to sit there, and I could just, that smell permeating. I had a headache when I came out of there. I can understand and, that. But but that's just the thing. You never know when you go into a group setting like that. Who all's going to be in there? Who's going to be sitting next to you? Is it going to be the gaggle of 12-year-old girls giggling on their phones? Is it going to be the little boy who's so into it? And maybe it can be fun to watch as he's watching a superhero movie and you're like, oh, that's really cute. You know, you never know who you're going to get. Right. And, like, um, and, and in fact, one of my worst uh, theater experiences, again, was not it was not a horror film. It was seeing Kong... Skull Island, I uh, saw it with, um, and shout out to my friend Jake McGraw, uh, we went and saw it one afternoon uh, after work, and we had, the theater was fairly packed, uh, you had people with their kids who were too young to be in the movie in the first place, like, in, in my opinion, now, you could do whatever you want with your own kids, I saw people bring their six-year-olds to Hangover Part 2 when I worked at Greendale, which I still, to my day, to this day, I cannot understand why you would take a six-year-old to it, get a babysitter, or if you can't get a babysitter, wait until you can get a babysitter. Um, but we saw Kong Skull Island, and I couldn't have told you a single piece of dialogue that was said in that film because people were talking, kids were kicking um, balls around because they brought toys into the theater, and it was honestly like one of the worst experiences, and I, it wasn't worth me even getting up and going out and complaining because it was too many. There were too many. It wasn't just the this front row in front of us, but everybody was talking. Everybody was just not, you know, being respectful of anyone else in the theater. And you you mentioned kind of the gaggle of twelve year old girls on their cell phones. I yeah. I was kind of the designated person, especially for any type of big release movie that was packed or sold out. Specifically, a lot of horror films that were big. Uh, big releases that a lot of people were coming to, especially the PG-13 ones. Um, I was the person who had to go in and give the announcement of, all right, you know, you can have the appropriate reactions, but if you're on your cell phones, if you're talking, if we get any complaints, you get one warning, and then you're out of here. And I was not... uh, 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 People weren't fans of me when I I worked at the movie theater and I was an usher um, because I, I... I kicked people out of movies, and I got mad at a manager once because I was diverging a little bit off topic, but um, we had these two girls who really, they wanted to go see a different movie, but they were only able to get tickets to 42, um, the film starring Chadwick Boseman, and um, they came out of the theater, they went out actually outside, left the theater, they were gone for about 40 minutes. So that's 40 minutes of a potentially two-hour movie. Um, so you've, you've wasted about a third of the film. And don't do math on me on that because I can't do math on myself, so I'm just giving you an estimate. Um, and then they came back in, and I refused to let them back into the movie. So well, you've already been gone for, you've been gone for 40 to 50 minutes. You've, you've missed a whole lot of your movie. You left the theater. I'm not letting you back in. And then, of course, they went and complained to the manager. manager let them back in. And I, they asked me why, and I said, well, hey, they, they didn't care to sit in there. They came immediately out after they'd been in there. We got these two other movies that I know that they've been trying to get into, but I've been sitting out here all night. 
ain't happening. You know, I don't want to let those people back in, especially when you've you've bought a ticket for a movie and you've wasted a good portion of that runtime yeah, outside. Trying to dive into one of those other movies they wanted to see. Absolutely, and we had that happen a lot with horror films too. I mean, in fact, we had uh, someone who got so mad because they. Uh, we, along with uh, another gentleman, um, Sean, he was uh, the usher before I, I kind of became the usher. And he was uh, he's the father of a, of a young girl. And so, I mean, great guy. He's Australian. He was always funny to work with. But, you know, he'd be a little bit hardline, too. Well, we had a group of kids. They went to go see, I believe it was Crazy Stupid Love, but also the last Final Destination movie was out. And they had been constantly coming out of the other movie and kind of walking the halls to try to go in there. And we and myself and another worker would kind of like hang inside the doors of Final Destination waiting for them. And finally, after the movie was over, they went out and they complained to their dad. Their dad came in and complained to our manager and our manager, our head manager, you know, explained to him, well, you know, they tried to jump into to an R-rated movie uh, you know, he told them, warned them several times. He didn't do anything wrong. Then when that guy went on and wrote a Yelp review saying that he was following around his young daughters and, and in an inappropriate manner. And it made me so angry because I'm like, I know Sean, he has a young girl himself. He's not that type of person. He was just doing his job to prevent these people from jumping into, into the wrong theater. The movie they didn't pay for. Right, so... As a kind of a grown-up person now, I, I kind of prefer to watch these movies at home. Like, certain movies, I, I, I do kind of want to go back to the theater and watch. But in the era of COVID, who knows when these big releases are actually going to come out now. I saw that the new James Bond just got delayed till April again. Wonder Woman got pushed to December. I highly doubt it's coming out in December. Um, at, at some point, it needs to just go to video on demand. I love movie theaters. I think that about the only thing that's going to survive as a movie theater is going to be drive-ins. Um, but I think that it needs to go into a, a um, okay, a drive-in movie theater, or you can watch it on video on demand for a reasonable price type of uh, business model, uh, I think, moving forward. Because it's just, at this point, we're all used to staying inside now. Some of us like it more than others. If I can avoid an audience that's going to ruin a movie for me, I'm going to prefer that over a group experience. Although, if I want to have a group experience, I got a few close friends I can always call and say, hey, let's watch this movie together and see what happens. Um, yeah. But other than that, um, again, what did you think of your kind of first real step into the, the genre of horror? Um, so far, so good. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's mostly, again, 3.5 for the sci-fi concept. Because right. Because the idea, I think, was really, really good, and I feel like it could be executed better. Okay. So I think some of that's not the fault of the director. I think it's just the fault of the times. It's sort of like uh, George Lucas constantly going back and, and redoing some of his stuff on the original Star Wars mm -hmm. because he didn't have technology available that he wanted. And I know people can have their thoughts of whether they hate that or they like that but i kind of feel like the creator had something in mind and he didn't have access to technology to be able to completely bring that to fruition so i would be interested in seeing if if carpenter was able to do a remake you know how he would go about doing it 
now. Same, same as well, and I and I also agree with you on the uh, George Lucas George Lucas aspect uh, as well. It's one of those things where, you know, he is the creator, he is the the owner. Um, if this was what he wanted to do back when he originally did it, and he's going in and making some changes, honestly, that's that's his his right to do it's not on us it's not you know it's we don't own it like we might feel like we have some sense of ownership on it but at the end of the day it's his baby i mean well it was his baby um and you know he's allowed to do with whatever with it whatever he will much like as much as i might not agree with some of jk rowling's uh thoughts on the harry potter franchise or series um especially post harry potter um, I'm just going to take what I think or what, how I feel about certain characters or what they're doing, and I can ignore what she says, but it, it's ultimately it's hers, and she has every right to do with it what she will. If it destroys the franchise, it destroys the franchise, and the, that ultimately that blame can only be placed on her at that point. But uh, I'm glad that this was a, a fairly positive experience for you. Um, yeah. I'm hoping... Uh, you know, to fully convert you by the end of the month. I don't. I don't think it will happen. But at least maybe we we ignite a spark of more interest in and in dipping your toe into some of the different uh, films in the genre. Um, and one recommendation I, I would make, um, and I've got access to it. And if you ever want to watch it, more welcome to. Whenever you have a spare four hours and forty minutes, I think. Um, and the part two of it is uh is going up for pre-order fairly soon but the documentary into darkness um i believe that's the name of it or in search of darkness that's that's it in search of darkness um which is a horror documentary done by a group and it was kickstarted and everything and they're working on their part two but it's an explanation uh exploration of 80s horror and uh, why they think it's it was so popular or why that people love it so much and um, and they visit some things because they're also doing one uh, I believe called In Search of Tomorrow which is exploring sci-fi films and sci-fi films of the 80s and stuff as well and uh, I'm very I haven't fully watched it through because I just haven't had the time and a lot of the movies that they've talked about are films I already know a lot about or intimately know um, but I would recommend it I, I think that if you want to kind of learn more about the the filmmakers and what they what their thoughts were at the time and what maybe things were going on in the popular culture that influenced it, because uh, obviously they live is influenced by consumerism in the eighties and and uh, kind of influenced by corporations and stuff with a little bit of a sci fi twist on there. Um, I, it's it's a it's a very interesting documentary and I highly recommend anyone who is interested in the horror genre but doesn't quite know maybe where to dip their toe in or or what it's kind of all about, highly recommend you check it out. And uh, I know I will be pre-ordering part two, even though I still haven't finished part one, um, as soon as it goes up for pre-order because I want to support it and I think it's just great. I love these kind of documentaries. And again, going a little bit off topic here, like I own the... Um, Crystal Lake Memories doc, which is a six-hour documentary on the entire Friday the 13th franchise, and it's just amazing to kind of hear these stories behind the scenes and what the studios thought of these projects and 
why they were releasing like sequel after sequel every year and then once Diminishing Returns kind of entered into it like what happened there um, another good one would be Never Sleep Again which is focused on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise which is another really great doc um, so if, if you're kind of wanting to learn more about some of these films those are some recommendations but for this week for our first episode of Let's Scare Leslie to Death it sounds like it was a success um, yeah we are taking in recommendations. I will probably screen them for Leslie's sake so we don't you know, freak her out too much uh, with anything too extreme. But if you want to send in suggestions, you can send them in through Twitter at CriticsNTCynics or you can write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. Um, you know, follow us on any podcast service. We found out we are officially on Amazon Music now. So if you check out podcasts that way, you can find us there. We're on iTunes podcast, uh, Podbean, Spotify. So pretty much just about anywhere you can go to find podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. Um, but I think that's going to do it for this week. And we hope you all have a spooky October. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>